0: all right the foghorn means it is time for the calva podcast where we try and cut through the fog and the murk shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day i'm chris Kavis.
1: and i'm chris cervello coming up chief of naval operations admiral mike gilday's updated navigation plan for the navy was released on july 26th complete with a new fleet vision for 2045 We'll bore into the plan with a veteran quite experienced working on Navy strategic planning documents. But first, a quick roundup of naval news around the world.
0: The revised version of CNO Gilday's navigation plan for the Navy updates an earlier document published in January 2021. The new plan continues to focus on China, which the CNO said is both a current and long term challenge. Gilday's vision of the Navy of the future focuses on the 2040s where he envisions a hybrid fleet of manned and unmanned ships and aircraft, more than 350 manned ships with about 150 unmanned serviced underwater platforms, and an aviation fleet of about 3,000 aircraft, about 40% with pilots in the cockpits, and the other 60% unmanned. We'll dive deeper into that plan and its issues in a few moments.
1: The Indian Navy's new aircraft carrier, Vikrant, was delivered from Cochin Shipyard on July 28th Construction of the 45,000-ton ship known as the Indigenous Aircraft Carrier began in early 2009. Sea trials began in August 2021, and commissioning ceremonies are expected to take place August 15th in conjunction with India's Independence Day. A sudden storm blew through the Norfolk, Virginia area on the afternoon of July 26th heavily damaging at least 10 helicopters at Norfolk Naval Air Station's Chambers Field. Although no personnel were injured, five MH-60 Sierra helicopters, one MH-60 Romeo, and four MH-53E Sea Dragon mine countermeasure helicopters suffered Class A mishaps, a category for aircraft that are either destroyed or suffer at least $2.5 million in damage.
0: U.S. Navy efforts to develop a large unmanned surface vessel moved forward July 29th with contract awards to six companies to continue design studies through September 2024. The companies, Huntington Ingalls Industries, Lockheed Martin, Austell USA, Bollinger Shipyards, Fincantieri Marinette Marine, and Gibbs and & Cox are all already working under similar contracts. The contracts are for varying amounts between $9 million and $13 million the contract amounts and the deadline two years from now seem to indicate the U.S. Navy is not in a hurry to field the larger unmanned surface vessel, which has been described at different times as a vessel having an offensive missile capability. However, the UISS, Unmanned Influence Sweep System, a name that just trips off the tongue, reached initial operating capability July 22nd with the U.S. Navy, Coupled with the Mine Countermeasures Unmanned Service Vehicle, it's the primary mine hunting sensor for the littoral combat ship's mine hunting mission package. The system has been in development for some time. It was tested off off Southern California last spring and summer aboard USS Manchester LCS-14.
1: In new ship news, the amphibious transport dock, Fort Lauderdale, LPD-28, was commissioned in ceremonies at Port Everglades, Florida, on July 30th. The ship is a modified version of the San Antonio LPD 17 class, along with sister ship Richard M. McCool Jr. They are known as the Flight 1 Plus variant. Flight 2, a further design development, will begin with the Harrisburg LPD 30. Fort Lauderdale will be homeported at Norfolk with the Atlantic Fleet. The last three new LPDs will be based at San Diego with the Pacific Fleet.
0: The fleet oiler USNS John Lewis TAO 205 was delivered to the US Navy and Military Sealift Command July 26th from General Dynamics NASCO at San Diego. The first in class ship is the first new fleet oiler since 1995. Seven more ships of the same class are now building at GD NASCO or are under contract, with a total expected to reach at least 20 oilers. And in old ship news, the dock landing ship USS Whidby Island LSD 41 was ceremonially ceremonially decommissioned July 22nd at Norfolk Naval Base after a career that began in 1985. The ship is to be placed in reserve. And that's a look at just some of this week's naval news.
1: It's time to move to to the discussion portion of this week's show. Um, As we mentioned at the top, Chief of Naval Operations Admiral Mike Gilday released his navigation plan earlier this week uh, and according to the Navy, the navigation plan builds upon Nav Plan 2021 further outlining how the U.S. Navy will build, maintain, train, and equip a dominant naval force to strengthen strategic partnerships, deter conflict, and if called upon, help win the nation's wars. Um, Joining us today to talk about the Nav Plan and um, share some of his thoughts as outlined in a Substack blog that he released earlier in the week is friend of the pod, Brian McGrath of the Ferry Bridge Consultancy. Brian, thanks for joining us again.
2: Pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: So Brian, let's start. You, I, I thought you did a great job of going through the document, but not wasting time summarizing things that people could easily glean from reading it themselves. But you pulled out um, goods and others. Um, do you want to start with the goods? What did you like about uh, NAV Plan 2022?
2: Well, I think the, um, the thing I liked most about it uh, was uh, what I entitled uh, a holistic argument. Gilday, uh, the, the CNO in this document uh, covers the, the warfighting stuff that the Title 10 designated warfighting stuff. Uh, and the priorities and the, uh, uh, it, it's all covered very well. But what, what he does here, I think um, just just this side, I mean, he's really tacking, uh, in, I don't even know what the sailing metaphor is, but all, all I can tell you is what he says in this document about what the, the Navy does for the country in terms of prosperity and security when we aren't shooting at people. What he says in this document is not valued or cared about at the same level um, at OSD. Uh, OSD does not buy the Navy's forward presence and conventional deterrence, Mm -hmm. therefore force structure and concepts of o- uh, operation. The OSD does not buy those arguments anymore. OSD um, is very much, uh, as I interpret it, interested in what it is the Navy does once the shooting starts and uh, those programs that are most valuable in the, a shooting war with the pacing threat, which is the, uh, China, um, that's what gets funded, and uh, uh, Gilday makes a great argument in this in this uh, document that hey, that's not all we do. Um, it is respectfully made, which uh, a, a you know a serving officer has to do. It is a respectfully made argument, but it's a direct and a strong argument.
0: Um, when, Brian, when you're yeah. when you're talking about OSD, um, OSD doesn't believe in these things. You're talking about Undersecretary Kathleen Hicks. You're I'm talking, talking about, about primarily. Uh, talking about Cape? I'm talking
2: about primarily Catholics, and the uh, and the people in Cape. Right, Ca- in Cape.
0: the cost assessment program evaluation.
2: Yeah, the the uh, and 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 here, and and they come at this for different reasons, in in my view, right? Cape comes at this the way they do because they can't model the effect. Of the navy on peacetime security and prosperity, they just can't model it. And uh, it it is far easier. It's not easy, but it's far easier to model force on force dynamics and campaign analysis because you have deep understanding of the weapon systems and how and the counters and and you can set up really good analysis. Um, Cape just doesn't value what it can't measure, and that's deterrence. That's the benefits of Ford presence to diplomacy, assurance, and deterrence. Kath Hicks, on the other hand, um, is a committed uh, ideologue. Uh, Kath Hicks is a party person, and I, by that, I, I don't mean that she likes to, you know. Uh, go to parties. She's a Democratic Party person. And the Democratic Party, when it was in the wilderness for the last four years, worked hard to try and develop a domestic agenda that uh, they believed would be popular with the people of the United States. And um, there was a belief that the election of the president, President Biden, validated those assumptions. Uh, Kath Hicks has been writing and thinking and uh, at CSIS, the Center for Strategic International Studies for years about how to get the Pentagon to spend less, not just because she thinks it would be more efficient, not just because she thinks it would be more effective, but in some of her other writing uh, besides the CSIS stuff, I think this was in Foreign Affairs, it is specifically to create resources that could then go and fund other domestic political priorities. So I think Kath Hicks comes at it from one perspective, Kate comes at it from another perspective, but because they both want the same outcome, which is for the Navy to spend less time and money doing that forward presence stuff and more time and money on uh, capabilities, weapons, sensors, systems, that are valuable once the shooting starts, they get to the same place ultimately. I wanna I want
0: break, break uh, let's t- take a minute or three just to talk about this, this idea that Cape can't model non-conflict, non-kinetic conflict, if you will. So the, the political appointees are always the political appointees, all right? You get, a, you get a Democrat comes in there, they worry about we can't pay for this stuff, we can only get what we can afford. The Republican comes in and says, I don't really care how we pay for it, whatever. Let's just pay for crap and and not worry about paying for it at all. So somewhere in the middle is an answer, but we never get the middle. But the cape is supposed to be nominally uh, professionals and people who do this stuff, people who are informed, who are educated, who are intelligent about military histories, uh, their effect on the world. So, you know, I think all three of us here have spent something of like a lifetime reading military histories, reading naval histories, and were well aware of things like Pax, Britan- Pax Britannica, which was 150 years of peace, uh, world peace more or less um, guaranteed by the British Royal Navy. Um, there was a certain Pax Americana after World War II. Um, why do people not know this stuff? Why is it so difficult?
2: Of this isn't that they don't know it; it's that it cannot be reproduced in a physics-based model. Um, so they're
0: just—they're—they're they're just so analytical. They're slaves to so much analysis, if you will, that that you
2: can't picture it. They are—they are, as you said, professionals. Um, they're not magicians. Uh, there are not. I—I—I I, I, I don't know of. Widely understood and accepted physics-based models, where you can prove the negative—that that that someone else didn't do something because we did something—that's ultimately what's at the heart of trying to uh, trying to. So I what Cape does wonderful magic things with numbers, but if you can't get there by numbers, if you have to get there by intuition through history, through through basically, you know, sociology major stuff, history major stuff like me. It it doesn't that is not their job. And so they are charged with bang for the buck optimization. What are we getting for our money? Those sorts of decisions. And if if we're going to want them to do that work, we should want them to do that work. It's up to political appointees over them to then say, yeah, but I've lived on this earth for 60, 70 years, and I recognize that there is psychology in, bound up in deterrence and that um, and that we we have examples where deterrence appears to work. Uh, we can't we don't model it very well, we can't prove it. Uh, but we but that's where the political uh, that's where the political will and political leadership comes in. Cape's job is to do math. I don't want them doing sociology. I just don't want them
1: to be as powerful as
2: they are.
0: Or even policy, right. So, right. yeah. Right.
1: right. Is the CNO late in, in this argument? Um, it seems, uh, and, and I don't necessarily mean that as a poke. You, you made a point of saying that it was diplomatic and he did it in a um, non uh, insulting way. Um, but it, Should he have been making this argument louder and more forceful uh, earlier in his term? Um, You you know, is it only because he's in his last year, as far as you're concerned, that you you know this argument is as clear, or does this represent you know real growth on the part of the CNO and his staff? All all I
2: have are suspicions, right? Uh, And I make and I base those suspicions based on the evidence before me. Number one, evidence before me is the tri-service maritime strategy that was signed out a couple years ago. And in that tri-service maritime strategy, there was described something called the continuum of competition. And that continuum consisted of competition, crisis, and conflict. Um, That was under Mike Gilday. Mike Gilday then uh, put out his NAV plan, his initial NAV plan, 18 months ago, and competition was all over that document. It was, it was, all over that document. And when I look at competition, the military's primary contribution to competition is deterrence, specifically um, uh, nuclear deterrence and conventional deterrence, military deterrence. Um, so I've, I see those two documents. Then I see and I saw those two documents very much in uh, in uh, agreement with the uh, administration's desires for its national defense strategy and how it wanted to do business and its devotion to conventional deterrence by denial, which relied a lot on sea power. Right. Well, then we had a, a change of administration. And since let, let's not forget his 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 uh, first NAV plan, I think, came out. A, a, a couple of weeks before the the inauguration. Um, and then I think for all through 21 and most of 22. Um, he has been. Uh, he and Secretary del Toro have been carrying out the good fight with uh, folks at OSD on the third deck, um, and they are they are not faring as well as we would all hope that they would fare. Um, and so I look at this document and its reassertion of those elemental, fundamental things the Navy does that OSD does not value – I find that he's not late. I think he's, he's back in the fight. I think he got his nose bloodied in the, in the uh, in end game a couple of times uh, in a couple of budgets. And I think he's decided that he's gonna sharpen his arguments and he's gonna make them respectful and he's gonna make them uh, in a, in a uh, coherent way. That's what this, this, this piece, this, this, uh, uh, this NAV plan, I think its greatest strength is that it makes that case. Hey. We do fight wars. We do contribute to the joint force and to war winning. But we also have a great deal to do with the security and prosperity of this country and the avoidance of war. And, and, and that, that's important, um, has always been important, an important role of the Navy. It just is, it's the part of the Navy that gets tuned down when money gets tight. And that's what's happening now he's making the case again he's not making it late so one of the one of the complaints about the
0: new navigation plan uh, from media folks was where's the charts where 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 where's the numbers where's where's things you can easily point to and the response is there are numbers in here they're just kind of put in there in the in the narrative um last week though the Navy. Came out with its nominally signed off, released its new force structure assessment plan. There's a classified version of it that's been moving around, which none of us normal, you know, streetwalking Americans can see. But uh, the unclassed version is putting out another fleet number, oh, goody, 373. And this course, we've heard 350, we've heard 500, we've heard 300, we've heard 313, we've heard th- whatever. Pick a number. Um, that sort of uh, sentiment was the lead in a in a piece in Politico a couple of days ago about here we go with more numbers. Nobody seems to know what the Navy, the Navy seems to not know what it's doing. There seems to be confusion all around. Um, when 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 these pieces break out in the me- in, in the media. I think for us who are around the Navy, there was nothing terribly new in that piece about the dysfunction, the disconnection, um, the lack of basic rudder orders um, that, that, that we see in the Department of the Navy writ large. Was that a fair article? What do you think about that? I mean, I mean how, did, how, how did that hit you? I mean, these, these you've been around, you've been doing these, Brian, you've been doing these strategy documents for a long time. Um, I think I think you go back to the aughts when you, you yeah. you've yeah. had you've had you've you've had significant roles in these documents and you know in, in the in the endless ebb and flow of strategies and, and tra- strategies of what, we're, what of the threat strategies of, of how we deal with it strategies of how we tell people about how we're dealing with it. Um, when you when what do you make of this of the of the political argument? political article and this whole essence about the the disconnect inside the department of the navy
2: uh i thought the political article was remarkable um mostly because what it was describing was an open secret among the 26 people in washington who care about this stuff
0: well more than 26 but i'm yeah.
2: just kidding i I'm, i right. i it's sometimes i get a little down about whether the stuff I do and the stuff yeah. we do matters. But, um, uh, <clears throat> but appearing as it did in the general media, uh, I thought was remarkable and I thought it was very well done. It, it was, I think it, it, it laid out who the players were. It laid out what the arguments were. It laid out what the counter arguments were. Um, you know, the, the, the OSD crowd has... Some facts and some good arguments on their side. The Navy crowd has some facts and some good arguments on their side. Um, so I thought the political piece was uh, was pretty well done, and it treated it treated the situation uh, pretty fairly. Um, I, you know, I uh, I think I think Carlos Del Toro and Mike Gilday have really hard jobs right now. I think it's because um, I think uh, in in their heart they both know the navy is too small and is not getting enough money. They are doing enough; they're doing their very best to say those things. I mean, I, I think I think there are th- at least three mentions in this document uh, uh, that the navy needs to be bigger. And so they're not hiding from it; they're not saying. And, and then he, you know, I'm I'm sorry that it, it you know this wasn't in a in a chart uh, that was easy to pull out, but. Um, not only did he say that we what we should be bigger, he said how we should be bigger and which ships we should be bigger in. Um, whether that's three hundred and fifty exactly or three hundred and seventy-three, when you're talking about you know one and a half percent or whatever, I don't know what the what the difference between three fifty and three seventy-three is. I'm a history major, uh, but the bottom line is get the whole damn organization moving in the same direction and that is we need to get bigger. We can we can figure out what the final number is in 2045, you know, sometime in the late 2030s. But let's get the whole thing moving in the right direction. And I think that's what the CNO is trying to do here.
1: I give him a lot of credit in terms of the writing of this document and other nav plans. I think he has been at times eloquent and effective in conveying the messages that he wants to get across. What is heartbreaking for many, and that this ties into the political article, but I also think it ties into where people would criticize um, Admiral Gilday and, and the current and previous secretaries of the Navy of the last three or four years, is that there's a say-do gap. Um, they say the right things and then there is a um, you know a budget that goes over to, to Congress. And I realize that it's the president's budget, not the CNO's budget or the SECNAV's budget, but a budget that goes over that doesn't match their rhetoric. And then when they are given an opportunity, and I think most members of Congress would say this, they are not the full-throated uh, supporters of the things that they write and say outside of congressional testimony um, or, or in meetings with members on the Hill that, that is needed to help make the case and help bolster um, the funding and authorization that, that maybe the Navy would need. And so I, I hope that, um, you know, in addition to that, that, that solid argument that's included in the NAF plan, I, I hope that the CNO in his last year Um, we'll get out there more, we'll be more of a full-throated advocate for the things that that are written in the NAV plan. Um, Because if he doesn't, it's just more mixed messaging, more mixed messaging to the industry, more mixed messaging to to the Hill. Is that a fair critique, Brian, or or am I just too close to this? It's a fair critique. You are too close to this, and it's incomplete.
2: Um, And it's incomplete from the perspective of Both Gilday and Del Toro have to operate within a system, not of their own making or their own choosing. Um, Let's take uh, Admiral Gilday first. Um, We want our military leaders to be strong. We want them to be good communicators. We want to have trust in them. And we want them to say how high on the way up when civilian leadership says jump. That's the way our system works. And right now, our civilian leadership is telling uh, Mike Gilday to jump 300 ships high. Um, Carlos del Toro, on the other hand, is not the secretary of the Navy because he was some you know, great sea power visionary. Um, Carlos del Toro is a party man. Carlos del Toro is a fundraiser. Yes, Carlos commanded a ship. He commanded the same one I did. He was a commander in the Navy. He has... A Navy background. He's a Naval Academy graduate. He brings a lot to the job, um, but let's face it: from the time he left the Navy as a, as a, uh, you know, in uh, the early aughts, to when he was appointed the uh, Secretary of the Navy, I, I mean, it's not like he was out there uh, creating great visions for where the Navy needs to go. That's not his thing. Um, I, I know I trust him. I know in my heart he's a good man. I know he wants the Navy to be bigger, but he's not gonna he's not gonna rock any boats. He's not gonna, you know, go up and, and, and uh, you know lay his uh, lay his job on the line uh, with Kath Hicks or the Secretary of Defense. It's just not it's not that he's gonna try to change it from the inside incrementally, the best he can, husbanding the best arguments using external forces using his friends on the hill i think he's trying he is he and gilday are both trying as hard as they can within a game that they don't write the rules to and have no impact on the rules for they're doing the best they can um, the only way this changes really the only way is when you is if you get a president in office who says i want this which we which we had, right? We had a president in uh, the last one who made noise about a, uh, uh, a bigger navy. He just didn't follow through with it. But even more importantly, he didn't. He did not appoint a team that was supportive
1: of that goal. Um,
2: General Mattis,
1: including the CNO, though, right? I mean, this CNO and the last CNO. Uh, you know, deferred to Mattis. I mean, I, you well, know,
2: let's I, face it. I, listen, General Mattis, all praise be upon the general. Um, general Mattis was not interested in a, uh, in a, in, in a building program for the U S Navy. General Mattis had basically one priority and that was to, to make the force ready. He believed with, and there was a lot of evidence to suggest that the force that they took over in 2017 had huge readiness holes in it. And they threw serious money at closing readiness holes. Yet, and capacity, especially Navy capacity, just wasn't of interest to him. Just, it, it never was. So you had a president saying, I want a big Navy. I want these magnificent ships, blah, blah, blah. You had a secretary of defense who was saying, yeah, yeah, that's great. We need to get, uh, you know, aviation readiness up. We need to get the, uh, the, 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 the Super Hornet uh, readiness up from 50% to 80%. We got to do things to get the force ready. Those things were expensive. Those things were uh, important. Um, but there was not a team. There was not a, the last time we had a major naval buildup in this country, we had a president who wanted it. We had a secretary of defense who sort of wanted it. And we had a secretary of the Navy who wanted it. Um, That was Reagan, Weinberger, and Lehman. Um, Those forces don't come into alignment all that often. They clearly are not in alignment right now. And so I think I see Gilday and Del Toro doing their hardest to protect force structure, to protect readiness, to protect weapon systems and R&D. They're trying to do as much as they can on as many fronts With the money they're given and it's a terrible terrible job
0: all right well we could be talking about this for a darn long time i think uh actually you know reading the nav plan and reading it several times now reading through it it's 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 really not that bad people you know anytime these these documents come out people really look for criticisms they read read it looking for things to pick at um, there are always things to pick at you'll never make everybody happy it's yes. it's a it's it's not that bad a document i asked we were, we were talking earlier today i said what else would you have in write? and um, i'm not sure really like I, I could make some edits here i could make some suggestions but overall given the atmosphere and the politics that we've just been talking about um the, you know okay it is it's what we have for the time being, until until a lot of other factors start to change, not just in the in the CNO's office. So, folks, we've been talking with uh, Brian McGrath, Brian, longtime naval analyst, consultant, and uh, of course, uh, former destroyer captain. Always, um, always, always fun to have you on the show, Brian. Thanks for coming.
2: Great to be here. Thanks for having me,
0: fellas.
1: Now hear this. Now is this.
0: And now here's Mr. Suvello with some closing thoughts on CNO's new navigation plan.
1: Chris, actions speak louder than words. The fact that the most recent nav plan is well-written is great, but is much less important to me than what the Navy actually does to achieve the goals and standards the document lays out. The CNO and his deputies need to be more aggressive about actually enacting the change described in their plans instead of simply declaring victory every time a new strategy or white paper is released. Navy leaders have a moral authority to be honest and forthright about the Navy the nation needs, not just in nav plans or trade show speeches, but every day and to every audience. As he enters his last year, CNO and his team need to get as much chalk on their cleats as possible without actually stepping over the line and running afoul of their civilian masters. Given the security environment, The country needs an action-oriented CNO that aggressively communicates and carries out a plan to restore American sea power. If Admiral Gilday does that, if he can fight for the ideas argued for in the NAF plan, he will surely find more and more allies along the way. To date, the Navy's schizophrenic and half-hearted approach to advocating for national sea power and the maritime forces required to maintain maritime superiority have cost them valuable partners in industry and on the Hill. Industry needs a credible approach that is more than words. They need to see a budget and shipbuilding plan that matches the rhetoric. Without it, they'll simply go their own way. Congress, on the other hand, needs to hear the truth. They need to be told about the threats we face, what is needed to combat those threats, and what the associated risk is for underfunding the plan or letting parochial interests rule the day. Congressman Mike Gallagher's proposed change to the Title X mission of the Navy is an excellent example of what can happen when you work closely with Congress. If this measure is passed, the change in language to account for the Navy's deterrent role will give the CNO the cover he needs to build a budget and make the necessary case to help restore American sea power to where it needs to be not only to win, but to prevent conflict. Look, give industry a real plan they can enact. Help Congress help you. It's simple. Action speaks louder than words. Admiral Gilday and the staff drafted a solid plan. Now let's hope they do everything in their power to act on it.
0: Thanks, Chris. Well, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vanga Moradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support.
1: Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello.
0: And I'm Chris Cavis. Thanks for listening and bye bye. Hey.